0: Good morning, saints of the First Baptist Church in New York City. Uh, I bring you joyful greetings from your sister, North Shore Baptist Church in Bayside, Queens. Uh, we have a deep, deep love for you all. We are so thankful for the fellowship that we share with you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's my, my great honor and joy to bring to you the Word of God this morning, which unites us, which the Lord has prayed would sanctify us in this truth. And so let us bathe and wash in some truth this morning. The scripture that I'm going to be speaking from this morning is Mark 10.45. So if you would open your Bibles and just look at that with me, Mark 10:45 one of my favorite verses one of the hallmark verses of the Bible Mark 10:45 for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve And to give his life as a ransom for many. This verse holds a lot of weight. And and for us to begin to grasp the greatness of this verse, we can start with the subject. The subject of the verse, the subject of the sentence is the son of man. Who is this son of man? Well, if you're familiar with your Bible, the Son of Man is the Lord Jesus Christ. It was his favorite self-designation, is how he referred to himself most often, the Son of Man. And and one of the reasons why he would use this name is to indicate his humanity. That's part of our joy in the Lord, that Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, became flesh became himself a son of man, while remaining always and ever the son of God. But son of man does more than just indicate that Jesus was human. It does a lot more. Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. These are the verses that Jesus likely would think of as he referred to himself as The Son of Man. And he would desire that those who knew the Old Testament scriptures would also think of these verses as he referred to himself as the Son of Man. Daniel 7 13 to 14. Daniel the prophet is seeing a vision. The Lord is giving him some revelation. And he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one. Like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. So see what's happening in Daniel's vision. This one, like a son of man, this human person is coming before the ancient of days, coming before Almighty God and was presented before him. And in verse 14, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. The son of man given dominion that all should serve him. This is the son of man. And what does Mark 1045 tell us that this Son of Man did? He came not to be served, but himself to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the gospel. This is Jesus' purpose in coming. This is the reason why the eternal son of God became flesh. Was to give up that perfect life. To die as a ransom for many. To die himself as the propitiation for the sins of his people. To be the one who would receive the punishment that was deserved for sin on behalf of his people. Like for my people. I deserve for, for my sin, I deserve punishment and death for my sin. You deserve punishment and death for your sin. And the Son of Man, this one who will rule and reign forever, took on flesh so that he might receive the death and the punishment in your place. And that you might receive that forgiveness of sin through faith. Right, this is the ground of Christianity. This is the ground of who we are is that Jesus, the Son of God, came and did this for us, and we believe that, and we receive that, and we trust it. But, this great truth of the gospel is not the primary thing that Jesus is trying to teach when he makes this statement. You see at the beginning of the sentence, it says, For the Son of Man came. That four indicates that what Jesus says afterwards, that the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, is the reason for something else. It's the ground for another point that he is trying to get across. And and that point, which is supported by Mark 10.45, is the one that I want to try to get across to you today. So, I'm going to preach about it at length, but... To give it in the simplest form, here's the message that that Jesus is saying. You must lower yourself. You must lower yourself. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You must lower yourself. This is the way. All right? Jesus emphasized this in his teaching, so much so that in Mark chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, there are three vignettes or three stories that focus on this very lesson. You must lower yourself, and these three vignettes are all linked together, so they follow one after another, teaching the same lesson, and then they climax at Mark 10, 45. For, after I said all this, why? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So that's what I want to do this morning, is I want to walk you through these three vignettes. It's Mark 8, chapter 27 to 35. Mark 9, ch- verses 30 to 35. And Mark 10, verses 32 to 44. So, so in a sense, my speaking today is going to be more of a meditation than an exposition. And I'm not going to deal with every crack and crevice of the text, but I want to take the main point right off the top and impress it upon your hearts. Each vignette has the same driving theme. You must lower yourself, to say it in other ways. The path to life is self-denial. The path to greatness is service. You must lower yourself. The three vignettes that teach this are linked by these parallel movements, which Mark uses to highlight the theme. Revelation, rejection, and remediation. So first, revelation. In each of these vignettes starts with something that Jesus is telling the disciples and what he is revealing is the fact that he is going to die he's going to suffer and die and be raised three times he tells this that's the revelation then you have rejection three times the response of his own disciples is not to say wow that's amazing lord Tell us more about this. Three times it shows that their mind is not comprehending what he's saying, and they're not really wanting to receive what he's saying. That's rejection. And then finally, remediation. God knows the heart and mental response of his disciples, and what he does is he goes on to teach. I've got to remediate. I've got to fix your crooked thinking. And so he says, he says more to them and so those three times three vignettes three three movements right it's a repetition for the sake of the disciples understanding a repetition for the sake of our understanding this is important just as the verse in isaiah that that harry referred to right it says that the angels were crying out holy 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 wasn't enough to just say Oh, the Lord God, holy. No, they had to say it three times. Do you get it? Holy. Do you get it? He's holy. How holy? Holy. And so in these three vignettes, here's the Lord. You must lower yourself. You must lower yourself. You must lower yourself. The Lord just hit me with this as I was going through Mark. Mark. This year. And and that is my desire that the Lord would hit you with it and start to reshape fundamentally the way you think about who you are and, and what your role is. Let's ask the Lord to do this for us. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for sending your son to give his life for us, a ransom for us, Father, that though we fail in many ways to keep your law and to abide by what you have set forth for us, you continue to teach, you continue to love, you continue to remediate, and that's what we need today, Lord. We need your remediation hallowed be your name. You are seeking a testimony on this earth, and this testimony is your people whom you have saved. So Lord, for the sake of your name, help us to understand the heart and the life that you have called us to for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start at the first vignette, Mark 8. 27 to 35. If if you have your Bible, please follow along with me. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. save it. Revelation, rejection, and remediation. The revelation we see in verses 27 to 32. First, you see Peter make the grand confession, right? There are some people who are mistaken about who Jesus is, and Jesus says, who do you you think I am? Peter says, well, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. We believe that. We, We know who you are. Jesus says, okay, don't Don't say anything about it. But then he goes on to reveal to them more. The son of man, remember your Daniel chapter 7. This son of man, the one who will have dominion, this is what's going to happen to him. This is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die. I'm going to be rejected. And after three days, I'm going to rise again. I love love how in the text it says, he said this plainly. Like, the Scripture wants us to know that there's no, there's no reason in Jesus speaking why they should not have gotten this. It should have just been right there. Two plus two is four. It's plain. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again three days later. You got that? Any, anything hard to understand about that? I mean, not, not in the general sense, right? Not, not if this man standing before you is God the Son, Right, completely divine, filled with the Holy Spirit. He says what he says, and you say, got you, Lord. It's not what happens. Rather, he is rejected. Right, rather than taking the word of the Lord. Imagine, I would say, so this is Peter. This is Peter who rebukes him. He hears the word of the Lord, and he says, no, Lord. This is Peter who said to Jesus at one point, Lord, call me out onto the water and I will come to you. Peter, who by the power of God, walked on the water. Peter, who when he was fishing all day and all night, caught nothing. And then there's this man standing on the shore and he says, go out, cast your nets. And he saw the miraculous catch of fish. Peter, who at the feeding of the 5,000, when Jesus started talking about You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people didn't get that and started walking away. And Jesus goes to the disciples, well, what are you guys going to do? You're going to walk away also? And Peter says, no, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And now here's Jesus, and he speaks these words. And Peter says, no, 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 Lord. On this one, you're, you're wrong. Why does he do that? What is that about? He has, a, he has a faulty understanding. He has believed that Jesus is the Christ. And his hope and his joy is that Jesus is the Christ. But he doesn't quite understand what the Christ is supposed to do. He thinks that the Christ is going to come in and he's going to bring glory for Peter and all his Jew family and friends. We're going to overthrow the Romans. We're going to start the kingdom now. It's going to be great. We're all going to have money bags and rule over the Gentiles. Whatever other misguided fantasies might have been in the Jewish mind as they thought of the concept of the Christ. And so when the one who he has believed is the Christ says, look, I'm going to be rejected. They're not going to listen to me. And they're going to kill me. Peter's like, no, 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 no. I don't care who you are, what you say. Your word Cannot come against this concept that I have in my mind. That cannot be right, Lord. I've given up my life to follow you, like three years, and now you're telling me you're gonna die? No. But he was mistaken. And Jesus comes in, it's like, all right, I gotta, I have to teach you something. This remediation comes first with a reproof. Heard that word a lot, a reproof. Like, what is a reproof? It's an expression of disapproval. What you said is wrong. You cannot think like that. You cannot do that. And to reject the word of God is to be an adversary of God. That's why, that's why Jesus says to Peter, Peter comes with his wrong assumptions. He says, no, Lord, that's not going to happen. He says, get behind me. Satan, Satan. We think of Satan, the name for the devil. Satan literally means adversary. Satan is God's adversary. And Peter, as he seeks to stand against the Christ, going to his death, stands as an adversary to God's good plan. And Jesus makes it known to him. To reject the word of God is to be an adversary of God. To desire what is contrary to the word of Christ is to be an adversary of Christ. Peter wasn't thinking like, I hate God. I don't like God's plan. You know, this Jesus guy, like he's not cool. He still loved Jesus, but his concept barred him. From understanding the reality of what Jesus was going to do. The greater blessings that Jesus had in store. And and by allowing his desires to continue to run contrary to Christ. Rather than reshaping them to Christ's word. He became in that moment an adversary of God. And Jesus calls it out. He says, what's the problem? You are, setting your, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is how you've made yourself Satan. You are setting your mind not on the things of God, but on the things of man. Your thinking is wrong. If your thought pattern is governed by the expectations and the motivations of this world, of this life, You give yourself over to them. What it will make you is an adversary of God. It will place you in opposition to God. That's why in the book of James, it says, Do you not know, you adulterous people, that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You want to make nice with this system over here? what will happen is you will be in opposition to God because God doesn't work with the world's motivations and expectations and desires. He's doing something completely different. And so Jesus speaks this word of correction, this word of remediation. He calls the crowd to him with his disciples. Come, let me tell you something. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Come and listen. Listen, Peter. Listen, people. If you're trying to hold on to what you think is going on here, you're trying to grasp onto this worldly success, you're holding on to worldly motivations and thoughts about what God wants and what God wants to do, you got to give it up you got to lay that down. You can't hold on to that and follow after me because I'm going in a different direction. You must lay down your life to follow Jesus Christ. You must lower yourself to go the way of Messiah. Right? We all have this concept of who we ought to be, what station we ought to be at in life, what we ought to have. And the Lord says, are you willing to let that go? You can't hold on to all of that and follow after me. You have to be willing to rethink everything that you think about who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to have and come after me and I'll show you exactly who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to have. And to obtain life in the eternal kingdom of God, you must loosen your grip on the pleasures of this life. You have to loosen your grip on the expectations and the motivations of what the world has set before you. This is, salvation starts like this. Right? The, the denying of yourself starts with repentance and faith. You thought that you were someone. You thought that you were good. You thought that you understood. And then the word of the gospel comes to you and you recognize, I'm not good. That's where self denial starts. I am not a good person. I have not pleased God. I sin and I sin and I sin and I sin. It's like I can't help myself. And I certainly can't save myself. But hearing that God has done a thing through the Lord Jesus Christ, that God has put forth his own son to receive the punishment that you deserve for the sins and the sins and the sins and the sins and the sins, sins. they can be taken away? Someone can bear that burden for me? I can have fellowship with God and be adopted as a son? Done with this guy. I'm done with me. Lay down my life and take up the cross and identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do that, as we take up this fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we become completely connected and submissive to his word. And it's his word that gives us life. It's his word that sustains our life. It's his word that directs our life. And Jesus says in verse 38, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of God. Of his father and with the holy angels. And those who have received this salvation love the word of the Lord, respect the word of the Lord, obey the word of the Lord, believe the word of the Lord. And I think that that particular saying comes back right to where Peter was at. A Messiah that's gonna die? No! Peter says, Don't be ashamed of my word. Rather, Jesus says to Peter, Don't be ashamed of my word. Whoever is ashamed of my word and what I speak and what I'm going to bring about, when I come back in judgment, I have no place for you. I'm going to be ashamed of you if you are ashamed of me. So identify with my word. Lay down your life and come and follow me. So that comes to us. That comes to us in this day and this age to whom the Holy Spirit has preserved this Bible and put it in front of us as the inerrant, infallible word of God, words that we can receive as from the very mouth of Jesus, every one of them. says, if you want to have real life, you got to lay down your life. Do you want to follow Christ? Do you want to experience real life? Do you want to know what it is to be a real human being? fulfilling the purpose for which human beings were created. Do you want to know that? You've got to lay aside the assumptions and the expectations that the world has put upon you. And even as a believer, the degree to which you will experience the glory of God and the presence of God will, will be directly proportional To the degree to which you are ready to lay down your life and come after him. Like, everybody who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be saved. Some will be more sanctified when they die. Some will be less sanctified when they die. Some will have given up much, everything. Think John the Baptist, out in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey, serving the Lord. Like, some will be there. Some will struggle with, with many things throughout their life and, and never become like one of those people. Right? But God has a wide door. God has a wide door and the forgiveness is not based on works. However, the more that you lay aside of this world, the more you have open and ready to receive and to see and experience what God has planned for you, the great riches and joy and peace and comfort of his presence. Right? If, if Peter had never stepped out of the boat, he would have never known what it's like to walk on water. He would have never had that glorious experience of the power of God. He might have still got saved. But there would have been something that he would have missed. Because he wasn't willing to step out in faith. And that holds true for us, right? Some of us have greater and more glorious experiences with the Lord, greater and more wonderful knowledge, like a personal relationship with God. And a a lot of that is, is related to how much we have been willing to come to him and lay aside these things and be with him and to watch him prove his faithfulness, to watch him prove his faithfulness to his word. Like, I want to see that God is great. Well, let me believe this word and act according to it, and then I'll see it. Sometimes we're like, well, I see the word, and it looks good, and God says it's good, and I kind of believe it, but I'm not quite willing to step over there just yet. You're going to miss that blessing. So we've got to lower ourselves. We've got to be willing to leave behind those things, right? It's, it's good for us. It's good for us to lower ourselves because there is a blessing there. So do you see how that worked in the passage? So there was revelation, there was rejection, and then there was remediation. I hope that that was was clear. So let's let's go to the second passage, and I hope that, that it becomes more clear. So this is the second repetition. It's going to happen again. Mark chapter 9, verse 30 to 35. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the 12. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Rejection, sorry, revelation, then rejection, then remediation. So I want you to keep in your mind that, that this revelation comes after a real big one. This revelation, in between the last time Jesus said that he was going to die and and rise again, you had his revelation on the Mount of Transfiguration. Corrected Peter and his two buddies, James and John, go up on the mountain with Jesus, and Jesus reveals his glory, shining in glory. The voice comes from the heavens. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah are there. Like So there's no mistaking, this is the one. This is the guy. But they miss it again. Right. From that, he gives another little private lesson. Nobody's there. He's with his disciples in the house. He's not wanting to say to everybody, hey, I'm the Christ. I'm the Christ. Because you're going to have more like Peter who are just coming expecting a revolution. He's doing this quietly. It's like, so listen, let me tell you again. This is what's going to happen to the son of man who's going to receive the kingdom and reign forever and ever and ever. He's going to be killed. I'm going to be killed. And after three days, I'm going to rise again. Again, pretty plain. But they miss it again. They did not understand the saying. And not only did they misunderstand it, but they were afraid to ask him. So, so it's a lack of comprehension. I don't know where their heads are at or what they were thinking or whether they had not properly studied their Aramaic or Hebrew, but, but they weren't getting it. But they wouldn't even ask. When Jesus taught parables, he said, do you understand the saying? And they say, well, no. How can we? It's All right, let's go. But on this thing, this thing that Jesus has already repeated twice, that's, that's kind of maybe strange, very strange to their minds. The Son of Man is going to die. It's going to rise again in three days. But they were like, all right, Lord, could you explain to us, like, exactly what you're talking about here? Because we don't get it. They don't do that. They just, mm, yeah, three days, rise again. Do you know what he's talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. All right, they won't ask him. There's, there's pride. There's pride. Massive pride. Because they want to look like, we're with you, Jesus. We get everything that you're saying. We're just marching along to Jerusalem. Right, the Messiah. We know him. But they're too prideful to ask for a clarification. You ever walk up to somebody? I know you have. This happens to every. Every person who darkens the door of a church. Walk up to somebody. You've seen them week after week after week after week after week. You're like, I don't know their name. You know that feeling? And, like, you walk up to them and you're like, hey, brother. Good to see you. Hey, do you know what his name is? And, I think, and you think, like, how much of a failure you feel like just because you don't remember a person's name now, now, if you're low, you like, look, I'm a sinful human being. I have a mind that is depraved. Like, can you please tell me your name again? All right. so maybe we don't, I don't have to have this feeling again next week and the week after. Like, just break it. Like, confess. Sorry. Sorry, I don't know your name. Please forgive me. Tell me your name again. Ah. Right, there's that nice feeling. You just lay it all out. But when you hold it back and you want to pretend like, I remember everything. I don't even want you to know that I forgot your name because, you know, I'm the, I'm the friendly guy. I know everybody's name. I just decided to call you brother today. Right? That's That's massive. That's pride. I need to put that to death. I need to put that to death. You know, I have, I have the directory, so. <laughs> I'm looking at pictures. Oh, hey! You know, that's... that's that's just, that's just pride. That's just pride. And Jesus exposes their pride. Right, they come to Capernaum. They get to the house. And Jesus, who knows all, says, so what were you we guys talking about? What were you discussing on the way? He wants to bring this out. He wants to have this conversation with them. And <laughs> they kept silent. They still didn't say, Lord, so this is what we were talking about. Like me and James and John, you know, I thought I was the best. And then James said, well, I healed this guy and brought this guy back to life. We were, we were kind of trading baseball cards on one another trying to see who was the best. Jesus knows this. They say nothing. Still in their pride. Like, he knows. Peter has said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. But they're like, no, I'm not going to, we're not going to admit. Because they know they're in the wrong. So Jesus just keeps teaching. Okay, you guys are bundled up in pride. Come here, guys. Sits down and calls the 12. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. This is the verse that grabbed me first on this topic because it's so simple. You want to be first, be last. We were discussing who was the greatest Jesus says, hey, you want to be great? Be last. You want to be first? You want to be the best? Serve. And this is telling you how to be great, not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of Almighty God. This is how you do it. You serve. You go low. You lower yourself. And that struck me because I'm, I'm secretly ambitious. Ambitious. Like, no one would describe me as ambitious. I'm kind of laid back generally, but I'm secretly ambitious. Like, I want to be a really good Christian. I want to be like the Christian of Christians. I want to stand before the Lord and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I could say yes and receive the commendation by faith. I want that. And the Lord says, this is how you do it. If you want to be first, be last. You want to be great, be servant of all. You must lower yourself. Like, Do you have aspirations to be great? I'm I'm probably not alone. Like, You want to be good, you want to be a good church member, you want to be a good Christian, you want to be a great son or daughter or nephew or whatever. You want to be good, you want to be great. This is how you do it, serve. You must lower yourself. And so that's... That's two times the Lord teaches this really distinctly. So let's do let's do one more. Mark ten, verse thirty-two to forty-four. And there's the heading, Jesus foretells his death a third time. That's not inspired, but that's exactly what happens here. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus walked ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Now he's going to Jerusalem, the place where he is going to be rejected and died, and he's going with resolute fastness. He's like, let me tell you what's going to happen again. He began to the twelve to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Revelation, rejection, and then remediation. The Revelation comes again. We get the most detailed description of what's going to happen to the Son of Man. Not just being delivered over, rejected, but mocked and spit on and flogged and then killed. And then three days later, he will rise again. So after he says this, this one whom they love, this one whom they followed, all oh, this is going to happen to me, what's the response that comes after it? It's like they're, they're not even listening, not even listening. James and John come up to him and say, teacher, we want you to do something for us. Like, let's, let me talk to you about this favor that we want. This is like a, re- this is like a rejection of apathy, you know, that's, that's like me going home and, and my wife is on the couch. I'm like, what happened to you today? She's like, well, I was, I was cleaning and I, I stubbed my toe on the door and it's broken and I'm going to have to go to the hospital. I'm like, all right, well, could you make sure that the bathroom gets cleaned, you know, before you go? She's like, are you listening to me at all? Like, do you, do you care about me at all? Do the disciples care about Jesus At all? You know, Harry, you preached on John 16 when you were at North Shore. I believe that was you. And it talks about (laughs) Jesus in the upper room discourse. And he said, I have said to you that I am going away. And no one asked, where are you going? Right? There's this lack of concern or care about what's going to happen to Jesus' person. And this intense desire to make sure that things go well for me. A rejection motivated by self concern. For them, this is an opportunity to make a power play. All right, we believe that he's the Messiah. He's going to reign forever and ever over this kingdom. So, Jesus, could you like set up a seat for me? Like, can you make sure I get that seat? And can you make sure that my brother gets this seat in your glory? And Jesus corrects them again. He corrects them, and the others are indignant. So you'd say, okay, James and John, shame on you guys. You're not paying attention. But when, when Peter hears it and the other 10, they're mad at James and John. They're like, how come you guys are trying to grab glory? You, you slipped in. Because maybe we want those seats. So they're, they're all, all in the wrong spot. And Jesus, again, brings a reproof. You don't know what you're talking about. That's number one. You do not know what you are asking you want to be great in the kingdom? You want a seat, seat at my right hand and my left? Well, the way up is down. And I'm going to rule and have a kingdom and dominion forever and ever and ever. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to be mocked and flogged and, and killed and spat on. And I'm going, to, I'm going to die. That's how I get there. Are you, are you willing? Like, are you going to come and do the same thing? Are you going to give up your life? Are you going to die? Can you do this? They're like, yeah, yeah, we can. Jesus says, okay. You will. You, you will lose your life for the cause of my name. But those seats, I don't pick who gets those seats. The Father has already ordained those seats. So that's correction 1A. And then number two, you have a wrong concept of greatness. You have a worldly concept of greatness. And he pictures it. He says, those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, right? You want a ruling spot? Those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. To lord it over someone is to strongly assert authority, to dominate. That's what the Gentiles do when they rule, when they aspire to greatness. Their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. The world's concept of greatness is not God's concept of greatness. The way that you exercise greatness in the kingdom of God is not to dominate. It's not to exert your authority to serve. You must lower yourself. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Must be. You must Lower yourself. Have you gotten the point yet? You must lower yourself to be great in the kingdom of God. Jesus is teaching his disciples an all-important, all-encompassing lesson about what it is to actually be disciples. You must become the servant of others. You must lay aside pride. And why? Why should we be this way? Why should we think this way? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Right, that even there, even the Son of Man, it introduces an argument from the greater to the lesser, if the function of the Son of Man who will receive an eternal kingdom and reign forever and ever and ever and all the nations will come into him, if that one, God's function and call for him was to come and to lower himself and to serve, how much more us, how much more his people, how much more unworthy sinners who by the grace of God alone has, have been given an opportunity to participate in the kingdom of God. You must lower yourself. Like from the greater, if anyone ought to be worshipped and served, it's the Son of Man. It's Jesus Christ. He deserved it. If he came to get what he deserved, he could have showed up the first time and just started walking around and say, bow, 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 bow. I'm the king. I made all of this. And now I'm here to tell you that you need to wash my feet. You need to make sure that I'm fed. You need to care for me and house me because I am Lord. Could have done that. Would have had all authority and right to do that. But he did not. Right? He humbled himself. Philippians 2 right? emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself to the point of death, and that death on a cross. And therefore, therefore, because he did that, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He gets there. He gets way up there. He receives that kingdom. He receives that dominion. But how does he get there? Lowers, lowers himself, lowers himself. And that's what we're called to do, right? We're going to be with him. The gospel proves that by faith, we are going to be with him in this glory, co-heirs, reigning in the kingdom. How do we get there? We lower ourselves, right? A disciple Will become like his teacher. A servant is not greater than his master. We go the same way that he goes. And John, Jesus says this after he washes the feet. So here's the Son of Man washing the feet of disciples. And after he had washed his feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he says to them, You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right. right, I've given you example so that you also should do as I have done to you. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Happy are you if you do them. Receiving eternal life and enjoying the purpose of your life, you are if you do them. There's a blessing for you in humbling yourself and serving others. Now, we kind of of know this. We kind of know this offhand as, as kind of Christian, basic Christian morality I'm supposed to serve. But Jesus is calling us to a a radical service. Even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. How big the gap of what his rights were and how he comported himself. So the service that Jesus is talking about is not the kind of service that you kind of have your own thing that you're pursuing And then, you know, in this little free time that I have, or like I could give up an hour or two maybe here or there and kind of serve because I know I'm supposed to serve. And this is the kind of service that lays aside your own comfort and your own desires and your own status for the good of others. This service is when you wake up in the morning and your first purpose is not how do I get for myself, but how do I serve others? The Lord is today making his rain to fall and his sun to shine on the just and the unjust. How do I go out and replicate that? How do I go out and give of myself to my own detriment just as the Lord did for us through his death? Because what happens is we begin to look at this idea of sacrificial laying aside self-service and we push it into the realm of super-Christians. And you've known those Christians, those real good Christians, man, they're just so sacrificial. Right? They just give up everything, living on little and doing whatever. You're like, man, I'm not there, right? I'm not there. That's not me. And we're all not in the same place, but we joke about it like it's okay. When in reality, what is keeping us from being more self-sacrificial is sin. It's not, a, it's not a joke. It's not a something to just receive and kind of be like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of selfish. But the Lord knows. No, we are commanded. Like, we are his testimony. We're to stand as his testimony on the earth. And because God is who he is, we ought to be like him. And we ought to push and push and push to give and give and give as much as the Lord grace allows. And to repent, repent, repent. When we find selfishness and self-serving and worldliness creeping into our thought patterns and our behaviors. So we have to look at our own story. What has been revealed to us? Well, The gospel has been revealed to us. That the Son of Man did indeed come. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. That has been revealed. Everyone in this room has heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who calls you to repent. Who calls you to lay aside sin and worldliness and to follow after him and to receive eternal life. It has been revealed. You will not be able to say in the judgment, Lord, I didn't know. Lord, I didn't hear. Lord, I didn't understand. It's so plain. Lower yourself and follow the Lord Jesus, and there find blessing. Revelation is clear. So then there's the rejection. Right? What, what ways are you, like the disciples, rejecting the word of God? Is it a, a lack of trust in his word? Like Peter, like you don't totally trust the thing that he's saying because it doesn't fit your worldly concept of what of what you think it ought to be do you not really believe that the treasure that you gain in heaven is going to be worth more than anything you can gain on this earth by your self efforts is it pride are you are you committed to gaining greatness in the way of the world is that your pursuit Chasing worldly expectations and motivations, which are pulling you away from obedience to the Lord? Is it apathy? Like, do you just not care? Like, you walk out of here today, say, oh, that guy, yeah, he preached, you know, he preached the word. It sounded sounded sound, like, praise the Lord. But then you're just going to go do your own thing anyway. These words won't affect you because you kind of really don't care that much. You just want to be here in church and... And be satisfied with yourself that you were in church, rather than let the word take your heart and and do a job on it. Apathy. Or is it just complete disbelief? I don't don't know you all, but there are those who sit among us, I am certain, that are not saved. That have not turned away from sin, have not repented, have not believed in the word of the gospel. To all of these things, the Lord gives a remediation, right? He gives a word that says you can change, you can lower yourself. I call you to lower yourself for the sake of your soul, for your joy, and for the glory of God. So inasmuch as my speaking has been faithful to the word of God this morning, God has spoken to you this morning. And he's giving you a call. You must lower yourself. The word of God speaks this today and it doesn't change. So he's going to speak the same thing next week. He's going to speak the same thing five years from now. He's going to speak the same thing thousands of years from now. So next week when you find yourself being selfish and chasing after worldly passions, he's going to say the same thing to you through his word. You must lower yourself, child. You must give those things up. Come and find the blessing. We must grasp the pattern of God's operation. We must internalize God's value system. We have to let the word transform us by the renewal of our mind so that we will offer our very lives as a pleasing living sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lose yourself and find yourself in the service of others. The way up is down. You must lower yourself. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Praise him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your infinite patience Thank you for, for granting your children, your saints, the gift of repentance, the gift of understanding. Lord, we need to see more. Please help us, Lord, to be sacrificial in every way, to lay down life that we might receive life. Lord, you are the blessed God, and, and we desire to be blessed. So, Lord, by your Spirit, work in us, change us, you would have a living and glorious testimony among your people. In Jesus' name.